I forget, they don't forget. How are you out there? Amen. We're preaching our way through 2 Corinthians. I hope that you're spending some time in this book. If you're regular here on Wednesday nights, you know we've been in 2 Corinthians for a while. We're on chapter 5 now. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. Uh, actually, verse 1 through 10, and I'm going to cover verses 1 through 6 tonight, God willing. So let's get our Bibles out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just thank God for the word, and then I'm going to read our text tonight. Father, we thank you tonight for this treasure you've given us, the word of God. From cover to cover, it's a manual for living. It draws us closer to you, connects us to you, reveals you, reveals Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Father, I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit in us would connect with the move of God in this place and that you would give us truth and wisdom and insight from your word tonight. God, we can't be changed by the intellect of a man or by philosophy, but we can be changed by your word. We ask you to change us, Lord. Make us more like Jesus. We ask it in his precious name. And the church said, Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, since in fact, after putting it on, we will be found naked. For indeed, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life." Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Powerful verse. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. The first six verses there are what we're going to cover tonight. Paul, uh, again, shifting focus, speaking to the Corinthians. Remember thus far, he's been giving them good theology. He's been establishing his apostolic authority. He's been dealing with his critics and his accusers who said, Paul, you got too much drama in your life for God to be with you. You have too much persecution. You're a hot mess. And the truth is that we're learning chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that it's very possible to be right in the middle of God's will in complete obedience to his will and still have a lot of issues to face. Anybody have issues? Anybody cause issues? <laughs> so Paul's shifting gears again. Now he's going to focus on the, the supernatural and the fact that, you know, uh, heaven is our eternal destiny, that our bodies are temporary, but we have a, a eternity waiting for us. You know, it's an important thing for us to understand that our bodies are temporary. 
the older you get, the better that news is. But, you know, we have an eternity to focus on. And what he's shifting the gear is, look at these bodies. They're going to be translated. But heaven is our final destination. Now, I'm convinced that we don't think about heaven enough. In fact, I would venture to say a lot of us haven't thought about heaven in a while and probably not today at all. I'm convinced that we need to think about heaven more. Why? Because focusing on the temporary things of what we see all the time and never focusing on the eternal that awaits for us, if all we have is this tunnel vision of looking at the world around us as it begins to, you know, feel the judgment of God and come unraveled, if that's all we do is look at the temporal, that has a withering effect on our faith and our joy. See, if all you look at is the world and how messed up it is and how it's getting worse and darker and this is out of control and that's out of control, that's going to have a withering effect on your soul. It's going to affect your joy for sure. And, you know, it's going to somehow, you know, wear out our faith. I don't know if a lot of us would be willing to be honest, but there's times where life has worn us out even to the point where we question our faith. And we say, I can't do this anymore. I want to throw the towel in. But you know, we're like Peter. When, when Jesus said to Peter, are you going to leave me too? He said, Lord, where can we go? Who else has the words of life? See, the closer you get to Jesus and the more you begin to walk with him, the, the, it's impossible to go back to the emptiness and nothingness and the shallowness of the world. But you and I need to think about heaven a little more than we do. And let's face it, while there is much beauty in the world that we live in, there's a lot of ugliness too. How many can see the beauty in creation? I love unspoiled creation. There's a few parts of the world that are still unspoiled. There's parts where man's fingerprints are not there. There's no skyscrapers. There's no buildings. There's no sidewalks. There's no asphalt. There's no parking lots just the workmanship of God. I see the beauty in the world. I know you do too. But you know what? There's also a lot of ugliness in this world. And the darkness of it can wear us out if that's all we focus on. So Christian, begin to think about where you'll spend your eternity from time to time. Now, the Bible says that we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I don't think many of us are in danger of that. we probably need to think about heaven a little bit more because it'll encourage our faith and it'll restore our joy and it'll give us that blessed hope to know that this life isn't it, but the next life is it for us, amen? So think about heaven. Think about where you'll spend the eternity that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. Verse 1 highlights the fact that we are multidimensional beings. We're trichotomous beings. What does that mean? We have three parts, you think, I, I, I get it now. That's why my pants don't fit me. There's three of me. <laughs> the three parts are body, soul, and spirit. You say, well, why are we like that? Because we're made in the image of God, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, trichotomous being, three parts. You and I ha have a body, we, we have a soul, and we are a spirit. And, and this text here in verse 1 kind of points to that reality and reveals something else. It says, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God that is not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. So this earthly tent 
that Paul is referring to is a metaphor that's describing our physical bodies. Now, hopefully, we don't need a tent to cover our physical bodies. Come on, you guys need to loosen up a little bit tonight. But he describes it as an earthly tent, and it's an interesting metaphor because it has some interesting implications. What does a tent do? Well, a tent shelters and protects something from the harsh, the harsh elements on the exterior. If you've ever been camping and it's raining or it's snowing, and maybe you snow camp, maybe we used to do crazy stuff. We'd go out there, you get inside the tent, you get all toasty in there, and it's like, woo, protection. You know, without a tent, you'd be in trouble sometimes. Windburn, frostbite, frozen. The tent serves as a covering. The tent serves as protection. What? Uh, against those who are sheltered in it from the external elements and all the harshness. This world is harsh. This external world has elements in it that will assault our faith. But these physical bodies God gave us uh, also have a spiritual covering, and they also shelter us. So get the metaphor here. Paul is talking about the physical man. We're body, soul, and spirit. Now he's talking about that part of us that is physical, made from the dust, and God breathed the breath of life into it. Now, our spirit, unlike our body, is eternal. Our bodies are not eternal. Um, our spirit is eternal, and it is the most precious part of us. We should focus more on the development of our spirit than on the temporal, physical man. Can I get a couple more amens on that? You know, a lot of times it's in my body, my health, my physical fitness, the gym, take care of this. I need a suntan. I need to whiten my teeth. I need to cut my hair. Maybe don't whiten your teeth, just get a suntan. <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone. But, you know, we, we're focused on the physical man, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the point here. Uh, the world, as usual, has it completely backwards. The world doesn't care about the spirit or the soul at all. And what the world pushes on us constantly, all day long, through the TV, through the radio, through the internet, through advertising, is to take care and to pamper these physical bodies. This tent that just covers us and is supposed to protect us from the world. The world's got it backwards. It's constantly trying to keep us focused on the physical man, our health, our pleasure, appeasing the, the drives and the desires and the lusts of the flesh, maintaining our youth. Do you realize that all the creams and serums and gadgets and stuff that you could nip and tuck and suck out and this and that, all of it is what? Designed to maintain youth. It's a multi-trillion dollar business. And the truth is, time marches on for all of us, and our youth fades. And there's no maintaining it forever. The world's got it backwards, but as Christians, we need to focus not on the temporary, but the eternal. Not on just the physical man, but our heavenly dwelling place that God has prepared for us. Please take care of your tent. Amen. Take care of your body. See, now everybody's like, well, that's not spiritual. <laughs> if you don't take care of your body, it's not going to serve you well, and you're not going to have the quality of life to do the will of God. God never meant for us to walk around sick, broken down, out of shape, overweight. Hello, I know nobody's coming back next week. I'm just going to go for it. 
But we've got to take care of these physical bodies. You know, I mentioned it on Sunday. All the, all the people who don't like to work out know the scripture, physical exercise profiteth little. Yeah, but not taking care of yourself will put you in an early grave or give you a quality of life that's not worth living. And our bodies are a tool for us to execute the will of God. So you got to take care of your tent. It's temporary. It's not the main focus, but we've got to take care of it. Why? Because it helps us to do the will of God. Eventually, all of our tents are going to be torn down. We're returning to dust. From dust we came and from dust we will return, that physical part of us. Check out the second half of the verse. If our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. Why would our earthly tent be torn down? Well, because aging and death are the natural process for the physical body, and none of us are immune to it. So our earthly tent is going to be torn down at some point. Now, while that might sound a little scary or even a little bit depressing that our physical man is passing away, the good news is we have another tent waiting for us. I think my tent's done already. I almost used it in May, but we... We didn't. So, you know, here's the, the body passing away, but there's another tent. And the, note the text says it's a house not made with hands. What does that imply? It's a divine covering. Amen. This is physical, made from the dust. But the, the next body, the glorified body, the thing that will shelter and animate our spirit is made by, directly by the hands of God. And there's no flesh involved with it. Verse 2 shows that there is a yearning in us. For indeed, in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So, you know, th there's a, again, there's a lot of conflicts inside the Christian. There's the flesh con conflicting with the spirit. There's the inner man that wants to please God, uh, interfacing with the world that wants to draw us away from God. And here we have another conflict. We have a groaning of our physical man uh, and a yearning for the, the next phase of our spiritual development, which is us gl being glorified, going to heaven and having a heavenly body. And look what it says there. I love it. In this tent we groan. That's still talking about the physical man. Look, there's not a person here over 40 that has not heard their tent groan. It's just amazing. You know, it's that aging thing, and it, and it comes for all of us. You know, you remember when you were young and you woke up every morning refreshed and feeling brand new? And now things pop and they make noises and my wife and I are getting older, you know, our knees make and the neck cracks and you move your shoulder, it sounds like Rice Krispies and what's going on? You know what I mean? And what is that? That's the physical man. That's this earthly tent groaning. But yet there's a spiritual groaning in us that it's a yearning to get out of this body. There again, if we don't think about heaven enough, we're probably not going to yearn and groan enough to get out of this body. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be released from this physical man is a good thing for us. Why? Because it's holding us back spiritually. No matter how close we get to God and how deep the spirit moves in us, until we're delivered from this body of sin, as Paul said, we are still going to struggle with the flesh. 
There's not a person alive, no matter how spiritual, no matter how accomplished, no matter how disciplined, that is free from struggling with the appetites of the flesh. And if anyone tells you that they have, they're lying. Stay away from those people. The person who says, yeah, I struggle all the time every day, you might want to trust that person. First three points out our need for a spiritual covering. We got this earthly tent. It's an earthly covering. It's made from the dust. But we need a spiritual covering. Why? To, incur, to, to cover our inherent spiritual nakedness. Our sin and our flesh leave us spiritually naked, as it were. I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable here today, but just trying to, you know, expound on the text here. It says, since in fact we are putting it on, we will not be found naked. That's a good thing. Why? Because when we, when we get rid of these bodies and the sin is gone, then we'll be covered spiritually and there'll be no more flesh to contend with. So there'll be no more sin or, or appetites or, or compromises to cover. Isn't this a good thing? Amen. That's why we should want to get out of these bodies. Amen. Because, you know, they have to be covered now, and God has to cover us with the blood of Jesus. Why? Because look in the garden. What happened? They ate from the fruit. They didn't listen. And immediately they what? They knew they were naked. That's right. Why? Because their eyes were open, and they saw that they were uncovered. And so what did they do? They covered themselves. God has a covering made for us. It's ready. It's a glorified body. It's, a, it's not this earthly tent. It's not made with human hands. It's not made from things of the earth or things pertaining to the flesh. It's made by the hand of God. Verse 4 brings out the contrast between mortality and immortality, between the mortal and the immortal. Listen to verse 4. For we indeed who are in this tent grown, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but be clothed. So we want our sin covered, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Uh, A lot of implications there. You know, this body of sin, when when we're delivered from it, all death and all the sin and all the struggle and all the conflict, you know, against good and evil, the flesh and the world, and all that stuff is going to be gone. Heaven's going to be so awesome, amen? You know why? Because there's going to be no sin there, and there's going to be no temptation there. Come on. There's times where I'm just before the Lord, and, you know, I listen to, you know, I'm reading Scripture, and I'm thinking about Jesus, and he's with his heavenly Father, and I, I almost, I'm like, Jesus, you got it made, There's no more cross. There's no more struggle. There's no more. You're glorified. You have the name that's above every name. You know, the Father has put everything into your hands. And and there's a part of me that just wants to get out of this body and sit with the Father, sit at Jesus' feet, and and be delivered from the struggles of the flesh. Amen? That's why we should think about heaven when we're fighting every day, when we're struggling every day, when, when our mind is messing with us, when our desires and our appetites are messing with us. We should look towards heaven because there's coming a time where we're going to be delivered from it all. Amen. Woo! And that's good news, amen. Listen to this. Nothing of the flesh will survive in eternity. 
Got problems with your flesh? Good. You're going to leave it behind when you go. And nothing's coming with us in eternity. Nothing of the flesh will survive eternity. Why? Because everything mortal has an expiration date. Everything man-made has an expiration date. Every struggle, every desire, every sin, every weakness, every disappointment in our life has an expiration date. And it's not going with us. You know, they say, you know, about material things. Well, you can't take it with you. Yeah, that's true. But you know what else I'm glad you can't take with you? The flesh and the sin and the struggle and all the problems and all the difficulties and all the appetites. That's not going either. <laughs> None of the flesh is going to survive eternity. It's going to be returned to the dust. And that's all because of Jesus' work on the cross. Everything mortal about us will eventually, what, be swallowed up by life. You know what, that, that's... That's a hint about what Jesus' mission was. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, amen? But his mission was to accomplish redemption. We don't understand the depths of redemption. Why? Because we just think, well, I got saved and I don't have to go to hell. No, 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 no. He's redeemed us from everything that sin had stolen from us when Adam and Eve chose to violate God, amen? When they chose to sin and sin entered our spiritual DNA, we lost a whole lot of stuff that we don't even understand the implications of it. But Jesus came not so he could be, you know, our, our you know, get out of hell free card. No, he came to redeem and to restore everything that was stolen from us by sin. Everything sin shattered, Jesus' empty tomb restored. Everything sin shattered, Jesus' empty tomb restored. Now, have we possessed it all yet? No. No, we haven't possessed it all yet, but we're going to as an inheritance. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to dig into this a little deeper. We haven't possessed it all yet, and you think, well, I'm still this and I'm still that. Yeah, because we're still in the flesh. We're still in this earthly tent, but we're going to be delivered by, uh, from it someday, and the grace of God will swallow up all that nonsense and exchange it for life, and then everything that we lost is going to be restored. It's, it's powerful. I mean, even just to wrap your mind around it, you know, we can't really understand the depth of it, um, but we have to try and scratch the surface just to stir up our faith, amen? It says in verse 5, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, prepared us for restoration, prepared us for redemption, predestined us to be saved and to spend eternity with him. So, uh, you know, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. This verse 5 is one of the most powerful verses in the whole book of 2 Corinthians. It alludes to the very fact that of all the incredible blessings that we have, us being sealed by God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is perhaps the most awesome blessing. Not only God say, you're going to heaven, I'm going to save you. He, he didn't, you know, he said someday, you know, you'll, you'll get all these things I'm promising you, but as for now, you're just going to do the same old thing and, and go. No, he said, I'm going to give you a pledge. I'm going to give you a down payment. I'm going to give you a promise. What is it? It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Somebody got to say wow out there. Say it backwards. Wow. That's good. That's awesome. It's a pledge to us. 
What does that mean? You know, uh, he's prepared us for this purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is to fully redeem us from the curse of the law, to fully redeem us of sin. That's the purpose. Everything that was stolen from us, he has purposed to give back to us through the redemption through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge or a promise. It literally means a down payment of what awaits us in eternity. The Greek word translated pledge means a first installment. Did you hear that? The Greek word for pledge means a first installment. It's like, you know, you, you, you hit the lottery, you won $50 million, and, the, and you know, they, they give you $10 million just as a, as a deposit. But you're going to gather and collect all of that. Why? Because it's yours. The Holy Spirit is a down payment, a promise to us, a pledge from God. It literally means the first installment. We have been given the Spirit of God as a signing bonus. <laughs> We're headed for heaven, amen? Man, I wish somebody get excited in here. We're headed for heaven, amen? I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know how long we're going to last. I don't know. Maybe Jesus will come back tomorrow. But I know this. Every one of us who's in Christ and born again is headed for heaven. And if we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And though our bodies groan and though our outer man groans and we yearn to be with the Lord, God says, hang in there. Trust me, here's your down payment, here's your pledge, here's your first installment. Uh, it's a guarantee that I've got you, that you're mine, that you're sealed. Wow. Verse 6 through 8 encourage us to allow the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit to be the thing that makes us spiritually bold and confident. You know, you and I who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit should be bold in the Lord and confident about the salvation that God has given us. Amen. What does the devil try to do? He tries to make a second guess and doubt all the time. You're not saved. You're not, you're not going to make it. No, you're going to blow it at the, you're, you're not, you're going to, you're going to wind up in hell. Come on. You're not, you don't deserve it. Come on. Anybody else out there? Anybody else that, that, you ever heard that before? Anybody heard that? That's the devil. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not God. That's not Jesus. But these verses here encourage us to, 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 to have faith and to be confident and to be bold. Why? Because we've been given a deposit, a promise, a down payment, a first installment, and it's the Holy Spirit of God. Think about it for a quick moment. Would God fill anyone with his spirit that he wasn't planning on to bring into redemption for eternity? Would God give his Holy Spirit to anyone that wasn't going to make it? That was going to blow it at the last minute? No, God's not foolish like that. He's not going to put the Holy Spirit into someone that doesn't belong to him. If God put his spirit in you, if you're born again, if you are part of the family of God, he's got you in his hands. His keeping power is going to keep you. You're not going to blow it. You're not going to come up short. You are going to make it. Somebody got to hear this tonight. Somebody's got to hear this tonight. The devil messes with you, tells you you're not going to make it. You're not, you're going to be left out. You're not like every, no, he's a liar. And, and when he's talking, he's lying, amen. 
We should have boldness. We should have confidence. Listen to, listen to verses, verse 6 here. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So, you know, therefore, being always of good courage. Why would we have good courage? Because we, we have the down payment. We have the first installment. We have the Holy Spirit. God has marked us. We're his. If you're filled with the Spirit, God didn't do it by accident. He's not going to take it back. The pledge of the indwelling of God's Spirit should give us the courage to know that God is going to finish what he started in us. In Philippians 1, 4 through 6, Paul conveys this exact principle about those in Philippi. He says this in Philippians 1, 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen to verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Our confidence is not in us. It's not in our wisdom, our theology, in our discipline. Our confidence is what? It's in God who sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Confidence of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me and in you is going to complete it. Amen. Let me tell you something about God. He's not like us. He doesn't start projects and quit. He doesn't start something and get bored. Isn't that human nature? You know, we start a project, we get a half done. Some of us have like 50 half done projects in our garage or on our lawn or on our house. That's not God. God finishes what he started. And if he gave you a down payment, if he sealed you, if he gave you the first installment, you can count on him to complete the work he started in you. Amen being confident of this very thing. That, that's the confidence. I may be struggling now. I may be confused now. I may be messed up now. I may be suffering now, but God is going to bring me to completion. He's not going to quit on me. He's not going to leave me half done. It's good news today. So exercise that good courage that comes from being sealed, that comes from having the Holy Spirit. Exercise that good courage and let it touch every area of your life. Your relationships, have good courage. Your finances, have good courage. Your health, have good courage. God is going to perfect what concerns you. God is going to complete the work he began in you. And at the same time, while we're having confidence, we should also acknowledge the spiritual yearning that's inside of us to be delivered from what Paul calls the body of sin in Romans 6. I mentioned this scripture. I want you to hear it in detail now. Romans 6, 5 through 7. It says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. So we should have this courage and we should have this confidence because we have the, the promise of God. We're sealed and we can count on him to finish the work. But, you know, the text continues in, 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 in verse 6. It talks about walking by faith and not by sight. Listen, I mean, verse 7. Listen to 6 again. Therefore, we should always be of good courage knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So 
there again, it's that tug back and forth. And once in a while, we need to look up at heaven and we need to set our eyes on heavenly things and we need to be encouraged over the fact that that's going to be our final destination for eternity. At the same time, acknowledge the yearning. Why? I want to be out of this body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This body of sin needs to once and for all be dealt with so we can be free from it. I'm going to close with verse 7 tonight, and we just take a, a little look here. Very, uh, a very common verse that most of us know, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It's interesting, you know, a lot of times we quote verses, and we don't consider the context that it's in. You know, here's Paul talking about heaven, talking about being delivered from our earthly bodies, talking about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he throws this in, for we walk by faith and not by sight. That serves as an important reminder to us that our worldview should be shaped by faith in the things we don't see, not in the things we do see. Well, I see this and I see that. And this is my opinion about this. And this is my take on that. And this is my vote for it. And then we shape a worldview that's worldly. And really, it's got to be shaped by our faith, not by our sight, not by what we see. You know, that, that word sight there means by appearance. So you could read it like this. For we walk by faith, not by the appearance of things. You see, we need our spiritual eyes to be open so we can see what God's trying to show us, amen? And then we'll have the right worldview. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. How many like to have money in your pocket? The rest of you are lying or you fell asleep. You like to open up your wallet and moths come out? You like to be broke? You like to get your bank statement and it's all zeros? And after the penalties and the fees, you owe them? No, we, we like to have finances. We like to have enough and more than enough. Well, when it comes to heaven, the currency of the kingdom is faith. Without faith, you and I are spiritually broke. We walk by faith and not by sight. Without faith, you and I can't please God. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For we must believe first that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, all we can see are the natural things that deceive us spiritually. Without faith, our sight is skewed and our spiritual perception of everything is warped. You and I need faith. We need to learn to walk in it. You and I need to focus on heaven once in a while and realize that this life is just dress rehearsal for eternity. We need to not build our kingdom here, but lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to think about their final destination so they can take their eyes off the temporal things, so that they can take the focus off their physical man, and they can be spiritually productive in this life for the kingdom of God. Pay it ahead, look ahead, trust God to keep you. He's going to perfect what concerns you because he's given you the pledge, the down payment, the promise of his Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for this text. I thank you for 2 Corinthians. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for uh, encouraging us and strengthening us and stirring us up tonight. I pray, Lord, that the word has stirred us and shifted our focus. Maybe we walked in here today and all we could think about is conflict and bills and uh, issues with our bodies, issues with, you know, uh, 
all the issues of life and we're focused. We got tunnel vision on the world, but Lord, you've encouraged us tonight to look up and to consider our eternal destiny and the fact that because we are yours, we have the Holy Spirit in us as the referee and umpire of our soul to teach us and guide us and lead us and bring us into all truth. And so, Father, help us to be confident in everything because you've given us a down payment. You've given us the first installment, and you always finish what you begin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.